This is the Delivery Space podcast. Whether you're interested in software delivery, business change, or transformation, we have some great content lined up for you. We launch into different areas of project delivery and bring you insights and experiences that you won't get from a book. This is Nisha and Sharon. Welcome, everyone. This is our episode on the success story behind PMO of the Year 2020. Hey, Sharon. Hi, Nisha. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very excited to get this episode underway. How are you? I'm really excited as well. So we've got a really special guest, Martin Parlett, with us. Welcome, Martin. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining us. So I'm just going to give our listeners a bit of an intro so you know a little bit more about Martin. So Martin is currently head of the Programme Management Office for the Government of Montserrat, and he's responsible for overseeing the country's ambitious portfolio of transformational change, including major infrastructure development. In 2018, he was named as one of the Confederation of British Industries 35 under 35 business leaders, and he served on its committee. Martin was also a campaign manager for Barack Obama's presidential campaign in Virginia in 2008. And he is a published author, he's a keynote speaker, charitable trustee, member and a board director. And he's the recipient of the Association for Project Management's PMO of the Year Award 2020. Wow, what an incredible bio, Martin. You have accomplished a lot. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And um, it's it's really great to um, to kind of represent the team here at Montserrat. It would be um, great to um, to have had some of them here. Um, but we'll, we're kind of hoping that we can continue to sell uh, the story of what we're doing here and down um, and introduce to many people to the work in, in Montserrat. You're really thought of. Brilliant. So by way of introduction then, in terms of um, what environment you kind of had to walk into and deal with in Montserrat, could you set a bit of background and context for us? So we know that um, Montserrat faced um, a hurricane in 1989, and then there was a volcanic eruption in 1995, and you've had some of the population had to leave. But for lots of our listeners, you know, they would never have... um, experienced what that looks like and it'd be great if you could just describe you know what environment you were working with there in Montserrat if you may. Absolutely so um, for your listeners Montserrat is not your ordinary um, work environment or project management environment. We are um, quite a, re- a remote small island in the, uh, the eastern Caribbean um, we are also one of um, 14 British underseas territories, which means that we have um, a strategic and financial relationship with the United Kingdom. Um, and so a lot of our, our funding for our general um, administration, but also for all of our capital projects, tends to come from uh, sources that grant funding, either from the UK or from other bodies. So. Um, we're known as kind of the emerald heart of the, the Caribbean, actually beautiful, luscious islands, with flora and fauna and, and beautiful beaches, and incredibly friendly people. Um, only 39 square miles in, in size, 
um, a population hovering around the kind of 5,000 mark. But in terms of uh, an operating environment and as, as an island of the country, we're kind of operating as, as a nation or as a country, but at a, a village scale on the ground. So for all sorts of reasons in terms of resources, a capacity, um, and, and just bringing people onto the island, that, that fermented some kind of challenge. You're right there, we kind of, we're, but all of that, that is Montserrat, but then everything that happened within the last 25, 30 years in terms of the impact from Hurricane Hugo in nine, which really did uh, devastate on so many of the, of the structures, buildings, infrastructure in Montserrat. Uh, and then the island really went on a, a reinvestment, rebuilding journey um, in the early Hanteats. Um, and so we're switching things back online. Um, because Montserrat had been a really happening place and the real forerunner in the region, uh, and one of the highest IQs they cannot be in the region, um, and some real innovation that was happening on island, 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 like thinking systems, Red ad studios from George Martin, the thick retour, the Cesar Theory, the Athus, and record some of the best music. Um, so it was all happening years that you kind of lose it to Hugo and have that impact to be on the journey to rebuild it. And then, as you said, we need the volcanic eruption that souped the air um, in the mid 90s. Um, you know, a previously dormant volcano that sits right above the old capital city of Gemma. Um, and so the whole kind of capital town was uh, was really laid waste and is now completely inaccessible. So uh, things like a grinding hospital that had been built and be stores, oh, there's nothing used, oh, the seaport. Um, all of the major infrastructure, um, all the major businesses and so many of people's homes were really taken away. So as instead that led to the evacuation, many people were headed to the north of the island, which was quite a rural place at that time, didn't have the same kind of infrastructure. There's some very rapid and mildly kind of rebuilding, relocation. And then many people obviously have to seek, um, you know, post either the UK, US, Canada. Um, and so there was a migration of people from Montserrat at that time. So we have quite a large diaspora community. They obviously have a keen interest in Montserrat's development, but they might not be physically near all the time, but they really have land, hold the spiralies here. So for a stakeholder point of view, um, that's something you can never lose sight of, that um, you're not just being made to the population island, it was significant population of the scenes as well. And so on top of all of that, you then made this mayor really transformational portfolio that we've got to essentially reinvest the lost infrastructure, but also to introduce new investments that kind of redefine what marks for is going forward. That's everything from a new court, FOA to structure improvement, at school improvement, hospital development, uh, fiber optic de- technology, uh, solar energy. You know, it, it crosses a real kind of spectrum of rug. But then also the institutional and governments reform to modernize and make the whole uh, public service efficient. So I operate in the government environment, so it's a public service environment. Major stakeholders in the UK, obviously, we have a local cabinet here. We rate uh, decisions out of constitution for an elected cabinet. There's also an on-island governor, so a Magnuson representative, who also has constitutional responsibility. And then we have our funding teams back in the UK. European Union was fewer of our big funders and also Caribbean Development Bank uh, and other agencies. So 
from often an operating environment, kind of uh, very sensitive, complex, um, but real worthwhile, important work. And it needs to be delivered. So sorry, if that's a long answer to your question, that kind of gives you a sense of our, our operating environment. That, that's um, brilliant. And, and thank you for describing that. I was keen to, um, you know, start with an, a, a good understanding of the environment because, you know, for most of our listeners, we deliver programs, projects every day, but nothing like this environment that you are describing here and the, the complexity, the sensitivity, there's human emotion, you know, people's homes have been devastated. So it sets the scene perfectly. So thanks for describing that, Martin. That's so true. It's, it's interesting, just as you said, they were almost in, um, it's like a, a disaster management, so disaster management situation and you know, recovery situation. So uh, lots of aspects of the infrastructure were rebuilt very quickly. Um, others were kind of meant for more temporary accommodation. Uh, things like a hospital was temporarily put into a new set of, or an old set of school buildings. Um, it's kind of more looking at what, like, what that tunnel and infrastructure, what the new capital monster looks like. So, and I, as he said, it's, it's a really unique human-driven uh, environment uh, where by redefining um, some of the basic uh, foundation or motto itself. Martin, to actually roll out a lot of these initiatives, and to make sure that you're making an impact, because that's why you're there. You're making an impact with everyday people and everyday life. Talk to us a little bit about the teams that you stand up to deliver these programs, these portfolios of change. Yes, yeah, so in terms of our, our team development, and we sit kind of centrally as a PMO within government. But then we have ministries and departments that are responsible, the really administration the budgeting, contract management for their project. So um, we have Ministry of Health, another major project down there is the hospital project, probably a 20 million power project. Um, at least uh, we have a Ministry of Communication and Works and Labour, which is very mature in delivery infrastructure projects. Uh, we have Ministry of Agriculture and also responsible for housing. So all these different ministries across government. And so part of our work is to rebuild the central capability that is credible, is able to support these ministries and work with them and build up their own type confidence and take a bit of seek. Um, and so what we've really focused on there is having people who know their stuff in the central capability, but also our people who really have to come up skill sets and emotional intelligence skill sets to meet with, understand, and react to the needs of the different ministries that we work with. So we're still resourcing the team now. It hasn't been easy. COVID has impacted two of our plans. Um, but we have kind of associated with each project and um, governance committees and teams are dedicated to that project. But part of the issues that we have had, um, and this goes for change management everywhere, I think, is that in a constrained environment like Montserrat, typically the people who are dealing with change here the start, we've also then, you know, used to dealing with BAU, or their main job is dealing with business as usual activity. Um, and in a government public service environment, that always calls down um, the majority of resources. And so it, we're trying to get that ability to have discrete 
project manager with people trained, accredited in project management, and recognizing project management has as a role in itself as well as a skill set, so that we're not relying or setting um, teams or people up to fail by putting too much of the project and change management aspect um, on them completely. And so we're also building up understanding of what it means um, to be a senior responsible owner, um, to sponsorship, um, and kind of defining and making sure the lines are really clear between what we do here on the ground in Montserrat and also where our funding partners come in and what roles they play across our development episodes. It's a mixed picture in terms of our team. We want good kinkful who are pragmatic and friendly and understand that this isn't going to be um, at a checklist project management environment. This is somewhere we need to be nimble and kind of proactive and reactive. Um, and you need to have people who can really understand the context and be sensitive to the context. So we've been very people and behavioral centric rather than kind of tactical know-how um, centric. Uh, so our, our team approach has really been around that. Alan, has it been upskilling across the public service? We want everyone to know a little bit about good risk management. I don't want to know a little bit about career project planning and, and reporting. But then we also want champions of busking the organization to kind of self-sustain a community where, you know, we know that actors in this ministry is kind of, they're really great at doing risk management or stakeholder engagement. And so you're trying to build up those kind of self-sustaining communities of practice. Um, because at the end of the day, I, I, I'm working in Montserrat, but that shouldn't be a permanent composition. Part of my role is also to um, work my way out of the role um, and make sure that uh, uh, you know, some local resources can come in and, and take this forward and, and lean and own the chains, which is you know, often for the people of Montserrat. So lots of upskilling, lots of mentoring and coaching, and maybe doing a lot more of that now that we've got through a lot of the project delivery side was when I first came in, it was just like, we didn't need to deliver. We need to prove we can deliver. We need to get this uh, spending out the door. We need to demonstrate that we can actually do these uh, quite complex programs well. Um, and we did them. But that came at a little bit of a sacrifice for some of that early capability development work that we would have possibly done and team building work. Um, we're now catching up to really meaningfully invest index and, and do it as a proper program of change itself, um, rather than something that we're kind of fitting them in and around, um, the necessary work, uh, and to do that. But I, it's nice to hear you talking like that because it is about sustainable delivery of change, right? Because what happens when those people like yourself are there, they're facilitating this delivery, but then you, you come out of the picture, you have to leave that legacy behind where you are equipping those that are there to carry on with that development. Absolutely. And and it's a real balance for uh, for Montserrat and in terms of Alan, how it grows and matures the skill sets it needs on island and it's the where where you make that. And then also what you choose to buy in. Um so a great example is we've recently done an airport resurfacing project. Um now we're only going to do that every 15, 20 years. So in reality it doesn't make sense to grow a local capability of expertise in airport no. surfaces. Um, so we, we buy in that service, um, but we make sure that people are kind of aligned in that project 
and sharing that knowledge so they, they can understand from a product manager point of view, from a technical point of view. They're enhancing their understanding. They're getting that uh, on-the-ground knowledge transfer. Um, and so using, and in the early stages of projects as well, finding an expertise of them but taking forward um, by the local fruit of their teams has been a real recipe for success mm-hmm. because um, I think sometimes the temptation is to need, uh, to make and, and do some of that stuff locally, um, which can take longer, cost more. Um, you still need a, a technical expert to come in and make a verified a design that you've achieved. Whereas if you can select those projects where it just makes sense to buy the expertise of the weekends for the whole project, um, from a quality cost schedule, but also knowledge try and start point to be that could be a really powerful tool. And see, it's all about that sustainability. It has to do. Um, it's always going to be about people. Um, we're up a remote island for our wing on, you know, even access in and out of the island is, um, is not always necessarily easy. And so, um, being able to have good expertise on the ground, uh, the really good procurement of service of running coming in, that's, that's the balance that we, we can get all the time. And it sounds like you've got a, you know, you've got that balance um, really right there. Like you said, in terms of understanding where you need to bring people in versus where you need to draw upon the local resources. And when we talk about um, the, the local people then, Martin, how much do you think a local knowledge and cultural understanding factors in terms of the success of the delivery of this program? Because I imagine that sometimes it can be a little bit difficult if, you know, you're from a different country, you're going into a new country, there were lots of different customs. Um, there could be potentially language barriers where words mean different things. So how much uh, did, did culture factor in terms of um, how you designed your work there? Absolutely. And I mean, but any, for any change, culture is king. And, um, you know, so I, I come into Monster after him absolutely fully committed to the work that is going on here and the exercise in in, in helping to rebuild Monsterax. So from an emotional uh, point of view, my family lived here. Uh, I, I know about Monsterax history and I've kind of watched it over time. But I understand that from a, and I appreciate and understand that from more of an intellectual point of view. I wasn't here before the disasters. I, I wasn't here during that crisis. Um, or I wasn't near the aftermath. So I, right, I'm conscious that I um, come with an understanding. But um. I could never walk in, um, in, in those local shoes and, and understand the totality of what that means. And so absolutely when it comes to our projects and our change, um, understanding the history and a lot of history here is still oral history. It's not necessarily written down. Um, and, and those experiences and really important and understanding people in the community who may have been involved in say the original hospital project or the original design of a still back in Timid, um, because that might not necessarily exist on paper some way, but um, what they can tell you about how they designed that building or what the spirit was or what it was like to be in that part of the town. Um, but also, I mean, once rations um, are kind of supremely uh, talented, and um, as I said, for Bobstar, as a really happening place, not just in the Caribbean, but kind of in, in that North America city. Um, and so the respect for that and understanding with where this is what an ordinary uh, A's 
investment program. This is not kind of the um, award zone that's, that's part of what I grant in funding. This is somewhere which is on the verge, if not self-sustainable, and um, has that pride associated with this streak. So understanding all of that, understanding um, what months rations want to see, uh, what the company wants to see in that next step, uh, and what they want to invest in, the type of partnerships they want to have coming forward. Um, you know, I'm just a vessel, a kind of an accolade, uh, the change that goes on into the decision makers here to reflect uh, the kind of desires and the, the wants of the people in what they need going forward. So hugely important. Um, you know, we, we had a project here recently where the drawings were a particular building and nothing were not on file. But by going back and going back and, and it, you know, speaking to me, uh, a designer from way back then, we're able to get the full, you know, scaled paper drawing and that they still had enough possession to understand how that structure had been built and challenge some of the assumptions that we might have had. Um, so absolutely, it's that blend of, of local knowledge, um, mastery and of modern skill sets um, and that outside expertise, where it has to be the matter um, and the hospital project, we're designing the uh, ring detail design now for the hospital project. Um, that is not going to be a hospital that you've seen in the NHS the UK. It's going to reflect the architectural tastes. It's going to reflect um, how people are used to their model of care. Um, it's going to reflect the climate. It's going to reflect how the masters and technical staff operate. Um, so whilst maintaining an NHS standard and a World Health Organization standard with care, it's going to have that local flavor, that local inclination um, from a human, social, and physical architectural point of view. So it's making sure that's reflected in the current design we have for the hospital is purposefully kind of reminiscent of the original hospital in Timur. So we're trying to have that kind of echo of, of Timuniaracy. Uh, whilst also obviously providing a 21st century fit for purpose and facility. So knowledge and culture, understanding is things brilliant. And always uh, I'm meeting kind of fascinating people. You know, six degrees of separation, was you being two or three degrees of separation <laughs> amongst the um, and, and And kind of the, uh, and that works both ways because sometimes use travels very fast in Montserrat, so you don't really practice it with the communication here. Um, but likewise, and um, we tap into that really big resource pool of knowledge, skills, and history. Um, and just again, something we're trying to capture right now, I talk about those kind of uh, living histories of what happened in Mark's factory. We're currently designing a new Volcano Interpretation Center, a museum essentially called the whole Volcanic Experience. So what it means from a geological point of view, but also from a social history point of view, and so there's going to be a, a piece of work for the kind of capture um, the sounds for Montserrat, the, the historical stories, what it is like to be in here before, during, and after that experience, and to capture that in a repository of kind of uh, a local experience. Um, because uh, that is still almost, um, it, it's a generational, a psychological issue in, 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 in the Pomfrey Island. And whatever we do, we build now, um, have some link to what was there before. So they're constantly be conscious of, of that. Um, and uh, so it's, it's, it's fascinating from a professional point of view. Uh, you always get any surprises. Uh, always uh, 
with learning new things and and you're also uh, just becoming part of the, the fabric out of the history here and down. So you've really got to get out there. This isn't a job that you can stay 24-7 behind your desk um, because the real value is blowing out, making people and um, building up confidence in those relationships. Um, and that's where the real information in uh, it is cow there. It's a huge factor. I love that. I love that it's um, it's people-centric. The voice of the local community is very much at the forefront in driving this programme. And, um, you know, it's taking all of their history, all of their opinions and making sure that's embraced in the work that you do. Because sometimes in the companies that Nisha and I um, kind of operate in, sometimes you might get, you know, X company come in and say, this is the way that we are doing it and define, you know, the direction. But of course, I always think that, you know, the people that are there and have that history is so important that you hear from them. They have so much value to add. And, you know, clearly here in, in what you're delivering, the people are very much at the forefront in um, spearheading this program. So it's, it's wonderful to see it in action. Yeah, and we're almost at a crossroads now because the, the program, the SIPRAIC program that we're delivering, which is funded by the UK Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, and also our court project, which is funded through the EU and the Caribbean Development Bank, they were what I would call kind of restoration projects. They were must-dos, and many of them are quite underdue. We then so the hospitals get operating out of school buildings for 25 plus CLs, and we'd never properly replaced the porch capability that we had in Clinless. So these are restoration projects. Um, but the next phase of investment in the next business case that we're going to be working on from Monster and with our Edmonton team is really going to be that quite uh, engaging again with kind of the, the DNA of the country where it wants to go and asking, where do you want to take this now? We've got a lot of these cheap bits of infrastructure in place. What's next? What are those key priorities? And, um, you know, from some of the strategic work we're doing, I think about food security is, is becoming increasingly important. Understanding our trade pillars um, and what we're going to attract in terms of private sector partnership and development, what the development of our tourism sector properly looks like, but it's balance between preserving everything that Moxra is, but also moving forward careers and the proper sector of the economy that can grow and flourish and, and support the, the broader um, employment base. Um, so all sorts of new questions, I think, in terms of hard infrastructure for the future, but also that social economic change and, and those other transformations that will now kind of go alongside all of this to really get all the benefits. Got new pie rock to take a bit of feed. We're now probably the less fiber connected pie than in the Caribbean. And what do we do with that? How do we uh, responsibly turn back into something rich areas um, economic? But also uh, for the people there, you know, does it open the opportunities for their employment, for their, um, for their education? Um, so all sorts of, of fascinating things, I think, still to come to really build off this platform. And as I say, that has to be human and people-centric. It has to be um, bottom-up as well as, as well as top-down in terms of, of prioritization. So, yeah, we're going through that. 
uh, at the early stages of the next business phase bill. So watch this space on that front. Lots of exciting things to come, Martin. How do you facilitate that dialogue? So you talk about, yes, you, absolutely, you need to be culturally sensitive to the developments, the programs that, that are delivering this change and restoring some of that infrastructure back. You're also going one step further. By I, I read in um, the APM write-up of the program that you're involved in um, when they interviewed you and you wanted to make, uh, you, you explained that there were, you know, desires for Montserrat to be the most connected um, within the Caribbean region. So yes, you've delivered the fibre optic capability, but going forward, as you say, there has to be that rich sense of dialogue between um, the drivers of the change, but also that local community so you can get their input. How do you facilitate that dialogue? Yeah, and um, it's that balance again of of getting good quality inputs and that make it that people feel involved, um, and also then responding to what's out there in, in the marketplace. And sometimes they can happen in reverse. Sometimes the opportunity presents itself. Either we've got to do a bit of engagement and just be a catch up, and other times it's kind of self-driven. Um, and so, for example, in Greeny, um, in the hospital design, and I'll, I'll mm-hmm. come back to fiber a little bit, in the hospital design, um, the designers are purposely engaged will be continuing this with obviously patient users, you know, the construction team, with all the clinical staff, cleaning staff, maintenance staff, and actually all of that is super important because if you just look at the concept of the treating and maintenance element, we can probably be a, a piece of people mm-hmm. with me behind. What is it in terms of we uh, the kind of the clinical um, sterilization and cleaning of a hospital in terms of equipment, space, uh, kind of slow around the facility, access to utilities? That's the integral part of design. So from a kind of a user point of view, um, that as important a workflow yeah. as as a clinical workflow, they could have carried in, in. So from a that's kind of a technical stakeholder point of view that we're really keen across the project. So when we have a project, uh, whether it be airport, a new airport tower, a new port, a new hospital, that the users and the end beneficiaries are kind of from the centre of that. Is this going to work for you? And that should be right at the beginning. They can't already build something, and then you're going to go and ask inherits how this is going to work for them. They have to begin at that at that design stage. And sometimes in Montserrat, we can't do everything or at once this kind of this approach to phased investment because all of our capital investment upon the spring and grant mm-hmm. funding essentially. Um, that we have to do things in phases so we're consciously building phase one, knowing that phase two will come later. And and so yeah, it's sometimes not everyone is going to be completely satisfied with the outcome of a particular project for as long as we could create the space and and, and then can take the better things that we can take into that next level. We're doing that, and we're building the port. We're building it in a way that with no them being extended, mm-hmm. um, uh, as required. When we're building the hospital, we're building it in a way on the site that can be modular, and we then also need to minimize the other facilities and things that we could use. Uh, we're building the airport control tower. It won't have a worthy elevator from from day one, but the elevator shaft is there and ready. And as soon as the investors there, we'll be able to speak, to invest in that. So part of it is. It's bringing people on that journey with you, good, bad, and ugly, and understanding the whole project life cycle, why you're making decisions. Some people have been agree those decisions are not early. And so, from our point of view, 
we're not making those decisions necessarily, but we are communities so we're going to bring people along that journey. Um, and so maximum communication has been really important for us and works back is a very online place. It's a radio communication based place. So try to get as much out there in the community as in kind of out of thoughts. And then, yeah, when it comes to the, uh, the facilitation called, um, what was uh, the Montrachian community, um, we have to ask for a networks, you know, we keep the overseas, um, social societies, the, the, the charitable sector, Vera, on user groups and consultation forums, but you know, I'm not going to say we're perfect. There's always ways of doing this better. The digital transition theory, Kali, that has taught us that we can do in that in really mm-hmm. innovative ways. Um, but we've got task forces and focus groups for, for the private work they're doing. We're kind of agreeing to go with different strands in industry, public, private sector, understanding you know, where we can take that capability. Um, yeah, and to also do a better job of communicating, I am sure. And um, I know that we can't always reach everyone. Um, but our door is always open. We try and sell that message that we need to talk to anyone about our projects. We're transitioning to new offices and what we want to do in those offices have that as a as kind of a, a meeting place. You can come and see transparent and where each project is at each stage and what's happening, what the scope is. Um, and we want that kind of environment for the people that are fully, fully embracing that. So yeah, that's, there's all sorts of ways in which we try and fake it in to the project as we go along. Um, and as I said, the next state of business space, I think will be really consultation heavy and driven by public private sector involvement and understanding capacity, capability, strategic fit, quarterback, and is, is, is kind of for everyone to tap in. What I really like about what you've just said there is you've actually described projects that you are undertaking, projects that you may not be able to deliver in their entirety, but what you're actually doing is communicating that to get people on board to say, there'll be an elevator, we may not be able to deliver certain functional capability for it, but it will be there. And to bring them along on that journey, as well as I think your um, your communication strategy is not just what you say or what you deliver digitally. What you've what you've also said there is that you're creating a space for others to come as part of your new offices to be part of that experience where they can live those changes. They can come and talk to you for those involved. And yes, it's easy to do on an island with. 5,000 people, did you say, as a population? And to, inv- right, to invite yeah. some of that participation so people can actually live the experience of the change. But it is a forward-thinking way to do it. But for sure, and one of the lessons that we always push is that projects are human yes. stories. And so um, there's something in the fact of our minds of this kind of older backfire but we started to develop this was called Project Story. And it's kind of capturing um, videos, photographs, and, and, and snippets and quotes from people around either memory of what these uh, piece of infrastructure were yeah. in the past or what it means to the now. So what it means to the, the kind of the, the retired now, so roughly the old facility to see this happen, but what it means for the person who um, has to go to the hospital every day for the treating and understanding what the impact of that is what we're evolving to do whether it ends up being a publication a website whatever that we're not losing rap because from an investment point of view investing in what's rap projects does not always 
make value for money sense because of our scale in the same way with a calculation back in Y crawl hmm. would. So uh, we know we're on a different calculus. You know, net present value and return on investment calculations don't serve as well. It's just a different economic yes. model. And there's kind of a moral um, inclination to what we do very as well in that restoration. And so being able to transform all of our schedules, benefits into proper tangible human things um, is a great communication tool, but it's also a great advocacy tool. Um, and so keeping those really front and center means that when you're talking about whether you need a little bit more investment or you need a little bit of help over there, that the outcome of that is the quality really a back of that human service into the living at the end of it. So um, it's, it's, it's keen, uh, that whole thing that we, we try not to talk in much of measure terms, we try and talk in very relatable human-centric terms. I couldn't agree more. I think that's the best way to do it. I want to quote you because I think it's so important for us to capture this. Um, again, in that article for APM that was written, it was titled Right Practice Beats Best Practice. And in, in our world, Sharon and I, um, we focus on that. So this is why you're here, because the, your whole mindset really, truly resonated with us. You said in that article, it's less important whether someone is chasing best practice rather than the right practice for the context, focusing on the strategic outcomes, how they will improve people's lives and the capability that you are leaving behind. And I think that this is the true essence of what you've explained up till now. Absolutely. It's a real mantra that um, I kind of try and take out there from Montserrat because um, this is a clear and stark example where if you came in the best practice, handbook um everyone would be turned off you'd be setting everyone up to fail and it's never going to happen and it's never going to happen anywhere i mean i've previously worked in really really mature organizations islands um what what is there's no such thing as best practice i mean there's there's good practice for what you're doing in your organization basically your context your constraints um, and the maturity in which you work in it and, and so no methodology, however it is sold, no process, no software is going to work. It is totality for you. Um, so we take a blended approach. We, um, we we really focus on the DNA of the people of the organization that we are serving. And yeah, so across our, we have that as a philosophy across the whole FMRO product. But then we understand that even different ministries and departments within a tree in a different way from the standards and approach point of view. So if we're delivering a small design project, we're going to treat you differently than if you're doing a major mm -hmm. institutional reform project over here or a major construction contract management heavy project over there. And so, yeah, there's no checklist. We do have, you know, we have templates and standards and applies and approaching and mentoring. Um, but we try to build that together. And what we actually say is, you know, this is our current standard or template for doing risk management. But if you come up with something better or you find something that works better, then you bring it to the table, we'll adopt that, and that becomes the new champion on approach. So, yeah, there's the, the whole, I try and do it a bit controversial. I speak at conferences and when speak to people, send other people in the audience who build off uh, um, their own kind of whole practice on there being a best practice. Um, but it, in, in reality, it's taking a bit from over there and a bit from over there. We've had to do that. We're a 
a UK territory in the Caribbean that floods to North America. So even in terms of our practice, the kind of PMI-based, APN blended, bit of axolos in there, I would just take, you know, for what makes sense for our context. The way you do financial management, because we're an agency's government, um, funded by Inte, is going to be very different to how, um, you know, Adidas or uh, some other company over here does their financial management. And see, I think that's the whole thing. There's not a one-stop shop. It's not a perfect project manager. It was not a perfect practice, but if you can make it work and out of being true to part of the practice, and um, and it works for your organization, it works for you and think it can buy in. That's, that's what we're all after. I need to, uh, no one can sell you that. Um, they can help you along the way, but, um, yeah, that's got to be the, the approach. That's kind of a, I'm very passionate about that because I think it's important. Yeah. Um, human and psychological element of the team and of the profession, um, is like 90% of ring of the importance on the, the 10% in technical know-how has to be there as a foundation. And um, the top credibility and got to have the understanding of the feelings mm. that work with it. No such thing as a cookie cutter approach to delivering change at all. No. And one thing that you said there um, that I drew upon was you said we build it together. And I think that's so important, isn't it? Because then you get the buy-in again, rather than enforcing something, saying, this is best practice, we know best, you must do this. No, you you know, you are um, taking the lead from the people who are there. Mm-hmm. And context is so important, isn't it? Something that Nisha and I talk about all of the time. There's no one thing that's going to work perfectly in every environment. So I think it's a reason why you've been so successful is you've fully embraced the context that you're in and you've listened to the local people and delivered on on what they want out of this, which leads me nicely into the next question, which is what would you say are some of the biggest learnings that you've taken from this experience to date? Yeah, um, I mean, this is true everywhere. Well, I've touched on a couple of them already, Alan, but one of the key learnings is I think from Montreal and everywhere is that a PMO is always kind of a new thing in an organization generally. Um, I've talked about this before, but it, it's, I don't think I've ever found an organization that has established itself with a PMO from day one. You know, it normally comes when there's been issues with delivery or planning a project. There's a need for greater coordination. There's a need for breaking through silos and having more coordinated insights into the business or there's a need for an executive to have better decision information and there's all sorts of different PMOs that are out there but it's rare that you find this as part of the original DNA of the ecosystem so um, you're usually late to the party you're usually the new kid on the block Um, you're always stepping on people's pre-established toes you're always crossing boundaries Um, you're always slightly a disturber, I think, in, in the organization. So, and especially for us, you know, we would kind of bridge this uh, part of the fruit that we, we are employed and we work for government of Montserrat, but we're also the focal point for the UK and investor team as well in terms of projects and programs. So, um, we've got to constantly show organizational friendship. And the key knowledge was over the to support and enable and deliver your work. And, and if we're not doing that, um, 
then the PMO probably shouldn't exist in the way that it is now because we, we shouldn't be new as a, as a enabling support to, uh, function. And so you've got to always show that you're there, you've got to develop those kind of quick ways. You've got to ensure that you are integrated and adapted. Um, I think you've got to show constant value. You know, we've learned that we've got to drive change whilst we've also been sensitive to what was already there. So no big barriers, no wrong answers, but just building upon. So any improvement is a build upon what's already there. It's taking the courage and I'm taking a step further. And I said before, we to do that, to kind of avoid being the neutral on the block and fog resisted, you know, adapt your language to suit your environment. Take on the lingua franca of where you're operating. Um, if I came in talking about benefit profiles and, you know, and net has and brownies and people's eyes have grazed over um, I would probably see there's some external auditing consultants or something like that. Um, it's about making yourself part of the ecosystem so much so that you're adding value demonstrably that in the end they can't imagine an organization that BMOs. And a bit of survivalism was a bit on a PMO was being a bit vulnerable and some of the were offended against that a little bit. So that's kind of um, lesson one. Um, the second one we touched around has been strategically inconsistent. So knowingly differentiating their practice across three different client base. And some ones that can be difficult because a ministry can see you working the one particular way uh, on the on the project and then working the different way mm-hmm. or intensity or another project. And so being strategically inconsistent is much of being formed for any PMO or any program because um, PMOs do lots of different things. Sometimes we're a principal friend. Sometimes we're a handholder. Sometimes we are um, they're more of a, a supportive, advising body. Sometimes we're more of an analysis and reporting function. So you've got to have that ability to have common services, but then to differentiate them across in terms of maturity, in terms of tone, in terms of expectation. Um, and so sometimes we are absolutely a rock about things. Sometimes we are, this is the minimum standard and expectation. And you deliver a project that with a million pounds and function, we need to understand X, Y, Z estimation. Um, but sometimes we're a willow. Sometimes we're, we are a bit bendable. Um, and we will say, we understand the passive is as it is. Um, we will we'll take you that you don't need to do fantastic dependence and management under the air or you don't have to do a stomping job on communications because we can maybe centralize that and support you on that. Um, and so we, we look at all of those in terms of the, the projects, the environments they're in. We are strategically inconsistent. Um, if you're giving the same service to every single client, we definitely do to get wrong. Um, and it goes back to what we saying before about being uh, with the client, understanding what the customer needs. Um, so that's kind of lesson Ireland. Two, accepting, as I said, there's no such thing as best practice would be, would be another big one. Um, in short and long term, I think there's been a really important one for us that when you're trying to prove the value, when you're trying to demonstrate your fear for goods and then you're um, operating well and successfully, you want to show some quick wins. You want to show that you're making a difference. And, and that can lean sometimes, even in my own mind, to be sometimes a bit more task oriented than strategic the oriented we all you can see that low hanging fruit and the one going grab it quickly and demonstrate you're you're doing that but 
at the same time, you and your colleagues need to be planting the seeds for the future. So I need to be understanding what are the strategic outcomes of this work? What's the legacy that I'm building? What's the capability that I'm being bringing, leaving behind? Um, and so you need, in your own mind and routine, have people be all uh, planting seeds, but also kind of uh, leaping that low hanging fruit as well. So fruit takers, seed planters, that's kind of the metaphor we use, but you do need both um, in the teams when you're recruiting people. You either need people who can do both of those things or need uh, kind of the team to be split on lots of people that can operate in those different kind of temporal, temporal worlds of the theory stuff. And um, because there's a lot of our work that's highly reactive during COVID, you know, that the family was also a lump list so how do we manage that change? And um, how do we understand our response to some of this stuff? Um, and that happens all the time. I think PMOs are going to place to change management. I think COVID, in a way, its management has helped many organizations to see the value of their PMOs and prioritization and strategic function. Um, but at the same time, uh, we also need to be broader strategic alignment, development, outcomes, legacy building, capacity building. So keeping those iron efforts. And then for men, the major one, as I said, is being as being human, responsive to your constraints and context. I've been turning your project to the proper human stories. Um, that's been really important for us. Um, yeah. And so I think that they're the main lessons and I think building a tateability, we, when we got here, there was no professional community and for the electoral world, the federal world in terms of project management and project managers. Let them program with full project managers. Um, so we very quickly teamed up with the PMI uh, chapter in Trinidad and Tobago. From the first things we did over here, we made that reach out. We're now going to be setting up a local once right chat thought as affiliated with that. That automatically allows to be tapped into regionally based um, Caribbean professionals who understand the similar constraints and logistical challenges. Um, then linked to all sorts of professional development, educational network. Um, that's been really important. Try to get people accredited with PMD at Aitken, qualifications. So building up that confidence um, across the teeth and capability, um, putting that champion challenger model, internal coaching opportunities to people coming to the team. Um, so yeah, building that sustainable capability has been, has been massive. And then finally, I guess, just maximizing communication. Like communicate, communicate, communicate. Alan, as I said, Facebook, radio, we try and do as much as we can without boring people um, and, and without being too incomplete about it, but taking people on that journey, uh, especially the place that is um, like a small town place. Uh, rumors move very quickly. There's kind of an inherent pessimism around projects. So people often take quite a negative trajectory in what they're seeing sometimes because for so long they haven't seen things happen. There's like a believability factor as well. Um, even when things are going up in terms of construction, is it was a doubt that it's actually ever done it come to fruition work. So um so yeah, the maximum communication, let people know you're there, let people know what you're doing, um, and invite them in and, and kind of co build that, that together. So that's the same. Some potted wisdom which I think we've gained from from one shot's contact in in like really sharp relief. But every organization is going through the same thing. Or it's it's the same different everywhere to people like those. Um, 
the more you work in this environment and what you learn. Yeah, oh, absolutely. There is a big need for that agility of mindset and of response based on the context that you're working with. And communication does take you a long way. Even though you do not have an answer immediately, it helps to say you don't. Right, that you're that you are working on it, especially within a social context where people have been through quite a lot. Exactly. I, I think that one of the most powerful yes. expressions yeah. is I don't know. And whether it's that inherent fear from people not to say that, but I'll it to me it's one of the most powerful and intelligent things that people can say because it's at that mm. point that we're taking into back to bus principles sometimes. Um, recognizing that no one in the room has maybe done this before, um, leads you to a much better place. Um, and, and yeah, so I think there's, there's a huge piece of acknowledging where you'll catch up from a personal point of view, but in a team point of view, um, and having that analysis that takes you into then how you develop the team, how you develop a project or assumption to make absolutely massively for, you know, there's lots of things I don't know and still don't know and probably will never know. Um, but we're, we're all up on that journey exactly. together. Exactly. Martin, this is a fascinating chat. And um, Sharon and I are going to keep in touch with you just to understand like, how uh, the capability that you're building out in Montserrat is evolving because you're passionate about it. And I, honestly, I could sit here with Sharon and listen to, listen to you and ask you further questions to get into depth. Um, so we will definitely keep in touch with you. For the benefit of our listeners, if there's anyone out there who feels that they have skills or they would like to contribute to projects like this within a social setting, what kind of uh, social and infrastructure setting, should I say, what kind of advice would you give them, whether in Montserrat or anywhere else in the world in terms of programs or big, big um, initiatives for change that they'd like to get involved in? Yeah, and I think the first thing is to be on, just to be alive to the kind of the possibilities that are out there in project management. I think sometimes, um, in the profession, I didn't come into this like I, I wasn't kind of a born and bred project manager. I like, came into this to a more mm -hmm. strategic management end of things at the program portfolio level, and and so I think the project market is a skill set. So I think um. There's so much opportunity out there that you think not even a president and qualified project manager is just that the world is changed. So change management as a skill set. Um, even if you don't think you're a project manager, everyone is. So your day-to-day -day life is, is a project. So I think just being alive for the practice and um, it's a much more open profession, I think, than sometimes people expect. But also within that, you know, some people we meet have been historically IT project managers and and they stay in that lane. And, Whereas we're seeing now, I think um, there being real benefit for people to have your cross section of project management experience and breaking out some no silos. So good IT project manager is someone that really understands this infrastructure and social projects as well, because then you can take good best relatable practice, you can understand the dependencies that of all those sorts of things that work together. Um, so I think broadening your base of kind of Varieties of the projects and what can lead to decommissioning projects before this and anything. We could have done it get more different for a highly regulated 130 year program that we're looking for in the UK and the decommissioning sector to be near on the ground and delivering projects from 
from day one, mm. any kind of a social restoration or post-disaster context. Um, well, that's the exciting thing. I don't know where that's going to take me next. So I think just being in mind the possibilities and and focusing on on softer skills, the psychological skills. Um, some people type innately our I for one with those, but they can hack something being be learned. I think um, emotional intelligence is, as I said, is so much part of being the journey. Being able to represent and, and sell what you could do in terms of a budget for a play jam, um, it is massively important. Certainly the value of communication and understanding is this key. Um, so I would just tolerable as a huge international landscape out there of these type of projects in both the product development sector as the international sector. Even UK overseas territories point of view, there are fourteen overseas territories out there. Some of them are populated, but um but most of them are. And they're all facing similar challenges. Um like there's different stages of development. Um European Union, private development bank, all sorts of agencies that read um really qualified good people to be working on the ground and so uh, yeah I'm always keen that that in in this type of world that can quite get as much exposure to it. if you're not physically moving overseas and we try to work on a I think actually farms environment harm and yet for I think in terms of the traditional it's it's important to have those tools and techniques but um we work people with really diverse backgrounds we cover that diversity in the teenies um we actually, we love diversity of experience. You want diversity of kind of thought process. Um, as I say, we want seed planters and, and fruit pitchers. We want um, really much intelligent people. We want people who are pragmatic. Um, so I think, I think focus on building what brand is that as an individual, um, rather than necessarily chasing out with the first note pack would be my advice, but in the forever might. One say, I don't know if what's by my advice, but that stuff can, it worked for me in terms of, of, of thinking about it in that way, I guess, and, and not fitting in out of, but, you know, people out there in this space, so many qualifications, you know, so many different apprentices that we can go for, and that, yes, they work for some, they're important in many areas, and, but everyone has, if the same, everyone has a book in there, if everyone has a, a pocket manager. Um, in Venezuela, and as a fraud-based skill set, even if you don't end up leading managing projects, I think you'll, you'll be a better professional in whichever area. Thank you, you for that, Martin. Um, yeah, def- diversity of experience is something that Sharon and I can relate to. We have sought to grow our careers in that way, and hopefully someone listening to that will also be inspired Yeah, and we are going to have some roles out here in Monster Act. I'm going to plug that. Um, we're going to be recruiting yes, soon. So I'll, I'll filter those through to um, you guys and you can share them on your network as well. But yeah, we're going to be building the team now. As I said, we were a little bit slower than we'd hoped and the whole COVID situation reacted most. But we're growing the team. Um, I really want to be a blended team, local individuals, but also the brothers bringing up scripts as well. So Watch this space and uh, they have to be happy to um, see some of your listeners. Applying oh, happy for those, to plug those, those. Definitely intrigued to see what those openings are, Definitely. Martin. So, yeah, we'll keep a lookout. That brings us to our takeaways, guys. 
What are your key takeaways for this incredibly fascinating chat? Martin, I hope you realise that that's code for me saying we want you back. <laughs> well, absolutely. I'm uh, always happy to come back. And um, as I say, I think things are always developed. Yeah, there's always interesting conversations to have. Um, so great, always. Um, and we're good to get some of the team um, represented as well in, in having them fair share their perspectives. Um, that'd be great. Yeah. I've really enjoyed the conversation, so thank you. And you're always welcome. The premier always yeah. where I go for these things with tell people to, to come out from on threat and uh, you're always more than welcome for obviously what's happening oh, yeah. on the ground here thank as well. Thank you. We're, yeah, oh, we're keen travellers. So you, you never know, Martin, you never know. Um, what are your key takeaways, Martin, that you want our listeners to walk away with those those great nuggets? Give us some. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's it's worth the same, really. I think it is our... Um, as in say to have that that pragmatic complex spread and agility it in everything we do. Um it's to understand projects through a lens of human impact. You know, one of the key tests we do is is this project improving the minds of people and or does it enable um someone to operationalize something in terms of lives of people? If the answer to that question is no, then it's probably not the right project um to do I think perhaps that has a lens through which you prioritize what the theory is really important. Um, and they recognize who are constraints everyone has different levels of constraints and then tailor we tailor what you can do around your resources resource management is still a really tricky thing where I think a lot of organizations struggle with and um, it doesn't have to be a science I think just look sensibly at what your constraints pumpkets experiences and learnings tell you and let that inform what we take forward um, and yet in some respect they respectfully kind of the whole an ecosystem in which you operate, create the value, um, demonstrate your value, and I would just go the world to soon. I'd be happy. I'd be, you know, be, be, I would, you know, what you're doing should make you happy. And um, had they just with the shield, um, with they're doing projects and they're doing mm-hmm. well, um, there should be real themed effects for, for what they do as well. And I think, um, Throughout those moments of opportunity in terms of engaging the stakeholders in the feet or infinity them on, on that journey, climb and kit that that's, I, I feel like as I'm maybe repeating myself now, but they're the kind of key takeaways. And from this to stuff, I think it's been great to balance off and that what I'm saying is kind of resonating with detailing right. And I think from a consultancy point of view, which is quite a way you'll maybe coping slowly roughly with your clients. To meet PLOs, professionals, and essentially always like internal consultants, you're always there to kind of listen first and then build around there. That second, you shouldn't be coming with a, a ready-made PowerPoint where you're just fitting in the details or a ready-made model. So I think every PLO could be like that. You know, spend the first six months acclimatizing the island and re-recognizing the lead and then build. Do us from there, build around, test it, get it wrong, build it again, and... So take take things in phases. I will send the report lesson from Montserrat in its infrastructure, but also in your PMO build as well. Alan, Robin phases. Sharon, what are yours? Thank you for sharing that, Martin. Oh, so there's so many, but I'm going to stick to the main one that came through loud and clear, and it was people-centricity. 
So I think one of the big reasons uh, that Martin and his team have been successful is because they put the local people and all of their stakeholders at the forefront of what they're delivering. It's not about taking a cookie-cutter approach. You know, it's about listening first, as Martin has said. And I also love the term that he used about being strategically inconsistent because context is king, particularly in, in the worlds that we operate in. And we do have to vary our, our strategy depending on what it is that we're delivering and, and embrace the context of where we're delivering also. And then the final point is for any listeners who want to do a similar thing as Martin is just to give it a go. Don't feel that you need to be constrained by where you are perhaps currently already operating. So, you know, we will share the details and that Martin shares with us today. So if you want to apply for something different, have the confidence to give it a go and, you know, draw upon some of those softer skills. It isn't all about um, professional accreditation, although, yes, they have a part to play, but the softer skills can get you really far in your career as well. So those oh, are my niche. I can't How about add you? anything more to that, way? I don't think. The only, the only couple of things that I absolutely loved from our conversation just now um i'm i'm a big one for nostalgia and so one of the things that martin mentioned was keeping um a historic almost continuity before the disasters hit montserrat and how that those designs those ways of living those important cultural aspects are important how important they are and how they feature in the futures of taking and have it holding respect for those whilst um, his um, area works on that, on delivering that change was really uh, key to me and it struck a chord. And then the second, which I love as a soundbite, um, Martin, I'm sure you're using this as a soundbite in your comms, the fact that projects are human stories and we, in the rush sometimes or in the rhythm for delivery, sometimes we can forget that. So um, that was as very precious to me and a reminder to me to bring that uh, forefront um, in into my, my lens of working as well. I, I love that. So yeah, absolutely fascinating, Martin, in terms of the work that you're doing out there. So yeah, thank you very much for spending your time with us today. Yeah, thank you for letting me um, share a little bit about our island and what we do and down in, and having this conversation. It's been uh, really, really great opportunities for me and uh, I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. So before we wrap up completely, which platforms can people find you on if they want to work with you or connect with you? Where can they find you? Okay, so Dobman at Mark's Rap is geobean.ms. Um, so you can check out our uh, overall type government our system there and our vacancies etc are all available there you can also catch up on the latest news on our pocket um we have a facebook page which is piero monster and um, so you can kind of follow us on facebook for the latest and greatest visual updates and kind of more day-to-day heartbeat updates across the projects um i'm personally on linkedin and so please if the things connect will be there and we follow on at a conversation or answering more questions um, so yeah, they're the main vehicles and um, yeah, very happy for people to get in touch, share their learning if they've got some suggestions for us, always happy to hear those, potential partners, um, you know, once wrap areas, there's some more that um, kind of reaches out with, with the expertise um, and uh, 
likewise is, is really invested in and setting the expertise we have here and understanding how that can help others. So um, it's great to have that ability to interconnect the networks. Yeah, very happy for people to reach out. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And thanks again for joining us today. You know, we've got so much out of this conversation and we know our listeners will too. So thank you to everybody for watching and listening. Look out for our next video and always please like, follow and subscribe. Thank you.